you have like an intuition about what you want to do, what your, where your destiny is, I guess you could say, but people become afraid of like, is that going to change their friendships? Is that going to change everything else in their life? And for me, it definitely didn't. It was pretty interesting because my friends were actually like, I noticed that they themselves became inspired to change, you know? Radio Mano Papachango. What's up, Chris? My name is Jack Solis. I'm coming to you from the beautiful badlands of Fort Berthold, North Dakota. Just on an evening jog, or I'm about to be. I just wanted to give you my deepest gratitude because uh, I love to listen to you while I'm at work. I work at a oil rig up here, although I reside in uh, Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Thank you, thank you. Much love. Hey Chris, my name's Rudy. I'm speaking to you from the banks of the Timbavati River in Kruger National Park, South Africa. I'm an engineering student. I'm currently taking a week-long holiday here at Kruger National Park. Thanks, man. Cheers. Hey Chris and the tangentially speaking family. I'm out on a walk in Whitefish, Montana. River next to me. Uh, pretty synchronous uh, timing. Uh, being that it was recorded on uh, Chris, your uh, your dad's memorial. My dad uh, happened to pass. Well, this morning is the day that he uh, he fell into a coma from a subarachnoid hemorrhage, and uh, passed a little while later. But um, uh, something that him and I related greatly with was was Chris's podcast. Um, we were born and raised Mormon, and uh, he fell away about 10 years ago, and the podcast has been incredibly helpful uh, for both of us, and uh, you know, it's funny, I still, I still listen to each episode, and I have uh, the local copy of my dad that I run the, you know, what he would think of this, or how he would debate back with Chris or whatnot. So you hold a very special place in all of our in all of our lives, all of our minds. Thank you for for your your contribution to all of us, Chris. Much appreciated. Love you, man. Take five. Um I love you too. Uh it's so fucking strange um, how intimate this thing gets. I know I've talked about it a million times, but it's a form of magic I still can't begin to understand. I don't understand how me sitting here alone becomes so incredibly intimate in both directions. Um, but I'm incredibly grateful for it. 
Uh, I'm a little shaky today because yesterday I got a text from a very close friend. Um, he's been on the podcast. I'm not going to say his name just out of privacy, but someone I'm very close to whose daughter was killed in a car crash just out of the blue. Everything seemed to be great. Everything was wonderful. Life was good. It's springtime. There are flowers blooming everywhere. And suddenly the hammer fucking comes down. That shit is always there, you know? It's always there. So. It's weird, though. It doesn't. Like, I'm not less happy in a way. Uh, I still see the flowers. It still feels like springtime. There are still things that are fantastic. And yet, they're in the presence of... You know, someone that you love very much going through incredible suffering and there's not really much you can do to help. So what's the right move there? Is it to not, to refuse to see the flowers or to refuse to feel the springtime in the air? Certainly not. That's not what they would want and yet it does feel like a betrayal doesn't it It reminds me of that line that life is joyful participation in the sorrows of the world I think that's that's where I always end up with these things you have to hold both you have to experience both simultaneously which feels partial I guess because your joy is always leavened with sadness and your sadness is has the sort of bubbly fermentation of joy in it and bittersweet sweet and sour whatever your yin and yang whatever your preferred metaphor is but um yeah pure happiness is for children and fools as is pure sadness i guess anyway this episode is with Shane Heath who is my buddy who started mudwater and convinced me to consider bringing some advertising onto this website. So love him or hate him, that's who he is. You can only love him, really. He's a lovable guy. Um, it's uh, We recorded this podcast at his place in Venice, and then we went over to his new mud hut that he opened up in Venice, California. If you go to the website, uh, tangentiallyspeaking.com, you'll see the photo. Or if you follow me on Instagram, that Chris Ryan, you'll see the photo. Uh, posted up there of the two of us in the mud hut enjoying a fresh cup of mud together mud 
It's good shit. Uh, you can mix it with coffee. You can have it straight up. You can mix it with coconut oil, MTC coconut oil, with or without THC content. That's totally up to you. It's uh, it's delicious stuff. If you do get the MTC oil, I would recommend you get it from Santa Cruz Medicinals. Um, I was just up in Santa Cruz a couple days ago um, with um, Kyle Tierman. Met our boy Brandon up there. He's a buddy of Kyle's. Brandon owns uh, Santa Cruz Medicinals. So got to hang out with him, uh, and uh, he's a cool guy. Really enjoyed meeting him. Uh, looking at the products there, they've got uh, peppermint tincture with uh, CBD, infused peppermint tincture, uh, MTC oil, uh, CBD, obviously, different sizes. Pain cream, I gave some of that, CBD-infused pain cream, gave some of that to my uncle who has neuropathic pain, which is one of the worst types of pain, if you can rank pain types, I guess that's possible. Um, And he said it really helped him, so uh, that's good to know. And then they also have CBD-infused clay mask. Uh, interesting. I guess uh, you get it, you do a facial and get absorb CBD as you're doing it. No sex jokes. No sex jokes. Every time I say facial, somebody chimes in with something disgusting. Don't do it. Uh, CBD infused coconut oil. They've got all sorts of stuff. So check them out. Santa Cruz Medicinals. Um, excellent stuff. Good for you. Make you feel good. Take away some of that pain and, uh, yeah, get your facial. If you use the coupon code CHRIS5, you'll get $5 off any order of $20 or more, which pretty much means you're going to get $5 off your order because I don't think it's possible. I don't think they sell anything for less than $20. Yeah, yeah, this uh, CBD oil, it's not cheap, but it's good stuff. So use the coupon code CHRIS5 for $5 off your order at SC Medicinals. And of course, Mudwater, you can check them out at mudwtr.com. I'm going to, yeah, there it is. I just typed it in. Um, Yeah, and you can use the, the Mudwater lots of different ways. Uh, it's got masala chai, cacao, reishi, chaga, cordyceps, lion's mane, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon. And they also have um, like a, what do you want to call it? A, a whitener, uh, a cream, but it's not cream. It's uh, based on coconut oil and other stuff. And uh, Shane said he's been adding some inulin to it, which is something I learned about from Jeff Leach back in Terlingua, Texas. Um, so I don't know, it'll be probably a few weeks or months until they get that into production, but some of that's going to have, uh, inulin, which is an excellent source of, uh, dietary fiber. It's very good for your microbiome as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm very proud. I seem to have had a, a role in some downstream version of mud water. So, um, you know, Jeff Leach actually had the role. I just conveyed the information. So I mentioned I was in Santa Cruz. Uh, I went up to Esalen in Big Sur to record a podcast with Charles Eisenstein. Some of you may know his work. He's He wrote a book called Sacred Economics, which I have. Um, he's written uh, several other books. He's a really interesting dude. Um, he's one of these people that 
lots of listeners have written to me saying, Hey, you should interview Charles Eisenstein. He's really interesting. Your ideas overlap a lot. And I always appreciate those recommendations. Um, although sometimes I, I can't follow up on them because people say, yeah, you should have Obama on the podcast. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I should. Um, or there are people who are just in another part of the world and I can't possibly get in the same room with them. Um, but I'm always, uh, grateful for the recommendations in any case. And I often do follow up on them. In fact, I recorded a podcast two days later with a woman named Jean Couch, who's a spinal expert that, um, someone sent me an email just a week or two ago and said, Hey, she's, you should check her out. She does this interesting work with uh, the spine that's based upon anthropological research and um, she happened to be in Palo Alto, which was near where I was, near Santa Cruz. So I cruised over there and spent a couple hours with her as well. So it's fantastic. Um, again, another example of how this is a collaborative project. And um, you folks not only let me park in your driveway and take a shower at your house when I'm out anthropologizing, but um, also lead me to interesting conversations all over the place. So, again, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, speaking of which, uh, speaking of me imposing upon your kindness and generosity, there are a couple of things I was thinking. Uh, I'd love to interview a detective, a police detective. I'd love to talk to someone because I've watched so many, you know, shows over my lifetime with police detectives, you know, The Wire or whatever. Recently, I've been watching, uh, I just watched Escape at Danamora, which is a seven-part series uh, directed by Ben Stiller, uh, starring Benicio Del Toro and uh, Paul Dano and, uh, yeah, I forget, um, uh, several other really great actors. And it's about it's a prison escape thing, and so they're, you know, just... Um, interviews with detectives and stuff. But I'd love to interview a police detective and, and sort of uh, just talk about that experience because it's so ubiquitous in media, but you don't often really get a chance to hear the truth of what it's like, you know, um, and how hard or easy it is to tell when someone's lying to you and what that interrogation process is really like and all that. I know it may be difficult uh, legally. Uh, possibly it would have to be a retired detective because there are probably legal restrictions from talking to media. But if anyone out there is a detective or knows a detective who might be willing to, to chat with me anywhere on the West Coast, um, please drop me a line. Similarly, I'd like to have a public defender on the podcast. I think the work that public defenders do is so incredibly important and unappreciated, underpaid, and just um, sort of ignored. And yet it's crucial um, to the functioning of the legal system. And unfortunately, because it's unappreciated and underpaid, the legal system is crippled, I think, by that lack of appreciation and attention. And so people who can't afford to pay uh, lawyers are screwed by the system. And um, occasionally, 
Maybe you'll be lucky enough to get a public defender who is so smart and so energetic that they have enough time to really help you, but it's an uphill battle because they're so overworked and underappreciated. All right. Last thing I wanted to say before we get into this um, conversation with Shane is that Shane's company is sponsoring this podcast right now, um, but this conversation, his presence on the podcast was not part of the deal and never will be. I will never sell content. I'll never sell a chance to, you know, be on the podcast to anyone and not the chain would ever want that. I wanted to have Shane on the podcast since I met him. He's a fascinating dude, super smart, uh, a truly great artist. His paintings are amazing. Um, and he's just, a a really interesting guy that, uh, I've wanted to share with you. And this is before Mudwater existed. So I just want that to be very explicit. I want to be transparent with you because, you know, as I said, 16 minutes ago, when I started talking uh, to you, the intimacy that we share and the trust, um, that I feel from you is sacred to me. And, so I just want to be real clear about that, um, that uh, the sponsorships are great. I'll talk about the product if I like the product uh, legitimately, but I'll never have someone on this podcast unless that's something that I want to do independently. That's not available at any price. Okay, uh, enough about that. I'm going to play you out with a tune by um, a guy... Let's see. I don't think he listens to this podcast necessarily, although maybe he will start (laughs) now. His name is uh, Chris Vince. His buddy listens to the podcast. I'm sorry. I don't remember the buddy's name. Um, Hey, buddy. Thanks for sending me this music. I really enjoyed it. Um, he just said, Hey, my friend's a musician and he, you know, doesn't get much exposure and whatever. thought you might enjoy this. And he sent me a couple of tunes and I really do enjoy, um, the song and, and Chris's voice. And, um, if you want to hear some more songs by Chris, you can find him on, uh, SoundCloud, uh, just search Chris Vince. Uh, this song is called when we grew older. Hope you enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Shane Heath, uh, CEO of Mudwater. Amen, friends, till the end But then when we grew 
So Shane, so we're we're popping each other's cherries today. That's what's happening, it's right? It's my first podcast, yeah. Your first podcast, and you were saying before I turned the mic on that you you aren't listening to a lot of podcasts recently because you you realized you had a problem. Uh, you had an addiction issue. I feel like I was addicted. I, I don't think there's a conscious decision not to listen to them. It's just also timing. Yeah. Starting a business, you know, it's You've like become you become a have... responsible yeah. businessman. Yeah. yeah. Who would have thought podcasts would be the thing you'd have to cut out of your life? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so what what's your story? You grew up in Santa Cruz? Grew up so, in Santa Cruz, yeah. You and Kyle have been friends since childhood or is that yeah, a recent he's, thing? He's a little younger than me. Yeah. Um, you know, the surf community kind of ties a lot of people together, but right. He grew up on the west side of town, and in Santa Cruz, there's kind of this west side, east side, not really a rivalry, as strong as at least it used to be, but um, growing up, you didn't really hang out with the other kids. Um, so Kyle and I became friends more after the fact. Um, a lot of our friends are really big into the music festival scene, Burning Man, and it, that's been kind of like this reunion that brought together people from like older generations, younger generations, mm. other sides of town, different interests, and uh, people more connecting on, you know, a deeper level that isn't necessarily what you do every day. Yeah. Um, so that's how we became friends. And yeah, I think that our network has expanded too. you know, I've introduced them to some people and vice versa. Yeah. It's funny. I, you know, I think of Santa Cruz as being this small seaside town. Yeah. And even there, there's this division between East and West and, you know, like uh, it's just silly how we divide ourselves up, even in these totally. micro levels, you know? Yeah, where there's, thing. I mean, it's the scarcity thing, you know, with the waves. And so there's only so many waves going around and everybody has their spot and it's a big fish, small pond mm, thing. Although it's a big fucking pond. It's the Pacific it's a, Ocean. It's a big pond, yeah. There's not a lot of ripples, I guess, going <laughs> uh, through to catch. Uh, um, so is it possible to grow up in Santa Cruz and not be a surfer? Totally. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I was... I definitely surfed a lot growing up, but I wasn't super drawn to, there's just a lot of drama and chaos in the water. And yeah. It's not, I, I was surfing like every day in high school, but outside of that, I was interested in a lot of other things too. I was really interested in mountain biking and hmm. um, jujitsu and obviously artwork and design. And um, I think when I went away to college, that's when I really got to like focus on a lot of those things. Like when you're in Santa Cruz, like the friends that I was hanging out with the normal things to do was surfing and all of that. So I definitely did that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's Santa Cruz actually has, you know, they get a lot of their praise for the surfing community, but in Santa or in Aptos specifically, like five of the top mountain bikers in the world grew up there and huh. our generation, they were, you know, the top guys in the competition circuit. So they're similar to like pleasure point steamer lane. There was this place called the post office and they had these jumps there and there's a community of kids, this crew that would just go there every day and they're just progressing. They're, they were just helping each other progress. And, you know, like the first ever double backflip, like one of the guys there, mm. you know, the one of the guys won like the Super Bowl of mountain biking and all these things. It was like Greg Watts, Tyler McCall, Cameron McCall, mm. Ryan Howard, all these guys. Is there some guy, Cameron Zink or something? Cameron like? Zink, yeah. He lives in Reno, but he's, you know, best friends with all those guys too. Yeah. Yeah, so I ended up, after I graduated college, I lived in Tahoe for a year, and then I moved back to Santa Cruz, and I ended up living with three of those guys, and we had this compound in Santa Cruz, like, we found one acre of property, pretty much right in the heart of town, but 
it, there was nothing on the property. There's just redwood tree grove and we got a tractor and we built a full slope style course. And we had, uh, was it we like, had a pump track, just like- who's, had, Who owned the property? Some guy rented it to us that didn't live in Santa Cruz. Oh. And we were like, hey, we're gonna build some jumps in the backyard. And he had no idea really <laughs> what extent, like these jumps were 15 feet tall. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. and. Um, so yeah, there's guys from all around the world coming into town right. to visit because these, you know, they're connected on the competition circuit. And so I got to meet a lot of those guys, Cameron Zink. And um, funny enough, Cameron Zink actually reached out to me recently and was like, "You're, you're behind Mudwater? Or do you know those guys? Like I drink that stuff every day." Oh, uh, really? I was like, yeah, I know a couple guys there. <laughs> I can lie, <laughs> I can set you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mentioned him because I had a guy on the podcast. Uh, who did a documentary about him? Um, he was a he's a professional mountain bike racer, and but he's also a filmmaker. Hmm. And he did this really good movie, uh, yeah. sort of profiling him and the he's crazy an awesome guy. stuff he does. And yeah, and then he's the guy who then hooked me up with my uh, electric assist mountain bike from Specialized. Specialized. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those are unreal. It's really nice. They're addicting, I though. You can't really go it. back. I'll never go back. Yeah. I mean, at my age, I'm not right. I, I have no history with mountain biking, so yeah. it's not like I'm, you know, changing anything. Right. I mean, I did a podcast with him in Topanga. Ryan Cleek, I think his name is. Cleek and Destroy. Hmm. Shout out to Cleek and Destroy. Holland. He's a good dude. Uh, anyway, I did a podcast with him in my backyard in Topanga, and afterwards he was like, "Dude, you, you know, you're in like mountain bike heaven here. You yeah, gotta get one." I've, heard. I've never ridden up there. You've never been to Topanga? I've never ridden up there. Oh, I've been up. I've, come on yeah. up, man, because uh, I've got Kyle's bike. He leaves it up there. Pedal assist? No. <laughs> no but you're young and strong. <laughs> no, I, I go home and I visit, you yeah. know, visit family, and my dad's really into mountain biking as well, and he just got on the pedal assist program. Uh -huh. and, He's got similar, it's like a downhill set, like a free ride setup pedal mm -hmm. assist and it's so much fun. It's great. I can't imagine. Because like, you can, been going uphill is as much fun, fun as going yeah. downhill. Yeah. Totally. Even it, more maybe. Yeah. I went on yeah. like a 40 mile ride when I was home and just hardly, I broke a sweat. Like you're, you're getting exercise, yeah. but it's just fun the whole time. Yeah. I, the best ride I've had on this thing, I had it in Utah at uh, Canyonlands National Park. Yeah. And we went out, we were gonna go to this overlook where the Green River meets the, maybe, could it be the Colorado River out there? I forget, but two rivers meet and uh, the overlook's like maybe 2,500 feet up above it mm -hmm. and it's really beautiful. No roads, you know, just a trail going back there. And I was with these two guys and we worked out the time, like, okay, by 3.30, we have to start heading back or we'll, you know, we won't have any light left or whatever it was. And we were, we were going, it's beautiful, but like there's sand and uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill. And those guys just, it was, so we got to the point where they're like, man, we're gonna, we got like 45 minutes, we're not gonna make it. And I was like, do you guys mind if I just like leave you for a while? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, go, dude. Because it also, it, the one I have has fat tires too, so it uh, doesn't sink in the sand. And I just fucking cruised all by myself. It was so beautiful. And I got out there in 20 minutes to the point, you know. For van life, they're perfect. Oh, I mean, so I guess you nice. have to figure out a way to charge them. But other than that, well, it's I can like, charge it off the. Yeah. You know, I've got an inverter in the van, so I can just charge it right off that. That's when I'm killer. driving, I wouldn't charge it off the solar. Right. But um, that's killer. 
Yeah, yeah, it's I love it. I really so shout out to Specialized. Thank you for that beautiful bike. And uh, I'll take one. Yeah, exactly. Send us some <laughs> <Next>. more. Send <laughs> us some more because that's the problem. Like you know, I got one bike, but and like who's going to keep up with me? Right. You know. So I ride with Kyle and uh, you know Kaj, right? Yeah, I don't totally. even yeah. know him a long time. Probably. Yeah. So those you know, Kaj is a Navy SEAL. Kyle's a pro surfer. Yeah. So you so, humble them. Well, <laughs> I mean, I slow down a little yeah. to keep up to stay with them, but they're, I mean, they fucking go, you know, yeah. they, they've got, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I think my dad's probably sold responsible for selling like seven of them to all of his mm, friends and right. Sanders. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like when somebody jumps on it, it's, that's it. They smile. Like they're yeah. happy. Well, the thing, I, I mean, I ride all around Topanga and stuff, and people will be like, oh, what's that? Oh, it's one of those electric assist things. Yeah. And I always am like, if they seem cool, I'm always like, hey, take Give it for it a, a ride, yeah. you know? They I sell figure, themselves. Yeah, that's yeah. the least I can do. So um, anyway, so growing up in Santa Cruz, super into the athletics and all that. But also, I mean, I'm sitting in your studio, and you're an incredibly talented artist. I I mean, I would not say that if I didn't believe it. You, I mean, really, this guy, I'm looking at this guy, his eyes, like his humanity really comes through that. Thank you. Man. Um, you did a series, this is part of a series of like homeless people that you worked <laughs> with or what, what was yeah. the deal there? Yeah. So I've been, because we're in Venice, yeah. by the way, right by the beach. There are a lot of homeless people. A lot of homeless here. people. Yeah. So. I mean, I've lived in San Francisco too. Santa Cruz has a pretty big homeless population. And um, I've always just been drawn to it, interested in their story. Um, also just drawn to people's natural reaction to say like, oh, they need to get a job. They need to do this. Mm. And I always like see these common tendencies and, and try to question them. Mm -hmm. You know, one of them is coffee, for example, which led me to Mudwater. But in, in the art world, it's like, I just wanted to figure out what their story was. So I started going up to them and sitting down and asking if I could record a conversation. So similar to like a podcast, I would record it on my phone. I would oftentimes bring them food or mud water, something mm. like that. And we would just chat. Uh, I did about six of them so far and they're hour long conversations and every single one of them was absolutely mind blowing. Mm. And at the end of the conversation, I would take their photo and I'd, I'd ask them if I could take their photo to paint their portrait. And so, yeah, I come home, I paint their portrait, and then I record a time-lapse video of the portrait coming to life. And then I take that audio recording of their conversation and I kind of chop it up so it's just their voice telling their story as their face is kind of coming to life on the canvas. And so it's this audio-visual piece in the end where there's an obvious canvas here, but the idea is I want to have an art show where you can walk up to a painting and maybe there's a QR code that you can scan and it taps right. into an audio. You can listen to the person speak right. and then there'd be like a printed transcript. So yeah, it, it's, that's a great it's probably, idea, it's man. the most motivation I've had in painting in a long time. Like I it just, I love it and I feel like it's endless. Um, that's and if you can find, find them, if they're around, invite them to the show. That, yeah. That'd that would that, awesome. be awesome too. Yeah. I've yeah. been playing around, you know, obviously like, an art show like art is going to sell and I don't know that seems like a tricky thing to start to get involved with obviously I'd put a large portion of it back towards some way of, of helping helping that community or helping mental health in some way because um, that might be like the core root of all the problem there um, 
but yeah, it's it's a pretty fun project to work on, and I'm trying to paint them in a way that you know they're big canvases. Like the canvas is four feet wide, six feet tall, and kind of a size and scale that's typically reserved for somebody who's like influential, somebody who's important. Uh, so that's like another plane to it is right. is like these people have no voice, have right. no respect, and don't get to tell their story. Meanwhile, there's A-list celebrities blasted up on everything, all these billboards, but commonly they have similar mental issues going on. You know what I mean? It's just the only difference is one person's getting the spotlight, the other person's in the shadows. And so that was like something that mm. as I was doing this project, I was like, wow, that's, I don't know, there's like a thread there that I want to pull on and start to figure out a way to really like highlight that, whether it's doing a show where half the wall is homeless people and half the wall is like Kim Kardashian and um, you really get to feel that polarity mm. or maybe not Kim Kardashian, but, um, you know, celebrities who have passed away due to mental illness, maybe. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I often think about that, uh, how our culture is organized in such a way that the people who rise to the top, you know, as defined by the culture, great wealth, great fame, right. great success in air quotes, in my opinion, are almost always driven by uh, some sort of desperation, mm -hmm. right? Otherwise, There's a fuel, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's what, it's what drives them. It's the, you know, it, and we celebrate this like never enough attitude and, right. you know, uh, you know, never stop working and charging ahead and, you know, and, um, yeah, to me, this whole idea of never enough is sickness. Like, totally. what, what do you mean never enough? That's like, that's what it's, drives obesity and addiction and like all these other totally major problems. But yeah, it's true. I mean, I don't know. Obama to me is kind of like one of the few counter examples to that. Hmm. He, you know, he rose to the top, obviously. But he also kind of seems like a chill dude who's got his shit together. And, yeah. But that's so rare. It's rare. Yeah. It's just really interesting. I mean, you see it in business, too. Yeah. It's a similar never enough mentality that kind of gets you started. And then I feel like if you can't ditch that, it becomes a serious weakness and yeah. can take you down. Well, and in art, you know, so many, you read these interviews with, you know, rock and roll yeah. musicians. So many of them are like... Yeah, I learned the guitar because I wasn't getting laid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if Keith Richards was getting laid when he was 14, he'd be working in a post office now. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I mean, not sure if that's good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, art was similar in that sense, too. I was always drawn to art. Um, mm. My mom found a little piece of paper from, like, fourth grade where the teacher was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's your favorite food? And it said an artist and it said favorite food is ribs and it's just like <laughs> mud <laughs> but you know i didn't have friend none of my friends were artists yeah and um like my my dad's a very creative guy he he's a builder built all the homes i lived in designed them too mm. so i was always around you know architectural plans and tools and i just loved ever since i was young i always remember just loved building things like legos and mm. forts and like I had all these cousins and I was the oldest cousin in my family. And so mm -hmm. I'd always like, you know, orchestrate a team and we'd be like, all right, we're going to build this mountain bike track and it's going to go here, here. Right. And I just loved that. That's where I dropped in. But I never had like a, 
a friend ecosystem similar to how like the mountain bike crew or right. surfers in Santa Cruz where they kind of like lift each other up. Yeah. Um, I was drawn to it, but never was like enabled until later in, in college when I was, you know, living on the beach in, in Mission Beach and going to school, taking art classes and excelling in art classes, but I never really painted outside of school. It was always something I was good at, but I never like had the... I guess the home life that enabled yeah. me to pursue it. And then I had a really bad breakup with a girl and was heartbroken. And I was like, I'm going to buy a canvas. And I brought a canvas and it was like the first canvas I brought and painted at my house that wasn't part of some project, wasn't part yeah. of something. And I was like, what the fuck have I been doing? <laughs> like, this is an awesome outlet. And, you know, I was living with a bunch of, they weren't frat kids, but basically that lifestyle, you know, it was, where's the party tonight? We're going to go here, there. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to work on this painting. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And that first step for me was a, is, was a huge thing. I feel like people, you have like an intuition about what you want to do, what your, where your destiny is, I guess you could say. But people become afraid of like, is that going to change their friendships? Is that going to mm. change everything else in their life? And for me, it definitely didn't. It was pretty interesting because my friends were actually like, I noticed that they themselves became inspired to change, you know? Yeah. And like, which makes sense. I love the word change though, because what you're talking about is to become who they are. Who they are, yeah. So it's changing from, it's taking off your masks, you know, this process. Yeah, because everybody was pretty much, we're all just doing what everybody else is doing. We weren't really acting out of what we wanted to do. It was like, we. So how did you know though? Because, I mean, it's interesting how, how as a child you were already you had that uh, capacity and appreciation for design and mm-hmm. you know making things and building stuff I, I wonder like in my life I feel like I didn't I didn't really have that I had I was fascinated by ideas and American Indians and stuff yeah. but I didn't there wasn't something like I wasn't really good at music or really good at painting or drawing or dancing or like any kind of artistic expression uh it's and i envy you that like as a little kid just like i envy like my wife she always wanted to be a doctor yeah she knew it from when she you know her first thought was like i'm gonna heal people yeah and that's that must be really liberating in a way yeah i think it was i mean i remember my best friend when i was in third grade his mom was an artist and i used to hang out at their house all the time oh okay and i don't remember a ton it was like so young but she always recalls that she would be painting in her studio and she'd turn around and i'd be there like watching (laughs) so i mean i I don't know if it was like the chicken came before the egg but like i saw her because lots of kids would walk by and not hang out right right right. so i had Yeah, maybe I had, you know, the the predisposition for it, and then she was there, and then it, you know, ignited that. Um, But like I said, it wasn't, like, it was almost, it almost was painful because I never really, like, did it, you know what I mean, until later on, and then it became this really good release, and it, it, but at the same time, it wasn't like when I started painting, I was good, or I don't know if I'm good or whatever, but... It was like right off the bat, it was like, I like I'm embarrassed by everything I made, you really? know, but I still did it anyways. Right. And, and it had some therapeutic total. Power and that was like you. a huge part of it is yeah. the therapeutic aspect. So that was like what kept me doing it. Yeah. And I think that artists struggle a lot because you have something inside of you that you want to put out, whether it's music or it could be spoken word, this case painting, 
and it's never good enough really like it's never exactly what you thought yeah and um you know i'm actually pretty happy with a lot of the work that's in this house but you know some of my younger series i would look back on like a month later and i would rather it just burned up like mm. you know it's just yeah. you're evolving at such a pace that um you get so much better and then you just look back and you just see all the inadequacies yeah. and the things you would have yeah. done different so but it's was, interesting how important it is t- to learn to accept uh failure totally. or maybe not even failure but just as you said it's not the way you envisioned it it's not but nothing is, yeah, you know? Totally. I, I've gotten yeah. a lot more comfortable with that. And, yeah. and I think it's translated into a lot of different things, like business, mm. for example. Right. A, a lot of people are like, man, you started this company, like, must take a lot of courage. And yeah, there is some pressure um, when you put yourself out there and you start something, put your name behind it, and you say that this, you're essentially saying, I believe in this, and it could fail. Yeah. But... Like, I'm pretty comfortable with that. Mm. I don't know. Not a big, it's not a big risk. Yeah, well, and I can see the parallel with uh, artistic creation. You have to have a separation between your sense of self-worth and the failure or success of this thing that you're doing or creating. Right. And I've I've experienced that as well with writing books, you know, like Sex at Dawn, 95% of the feedback has been wildly positive, but the whole experience, I was thinking like, don't swallow this. Cause if you swallow this positivity, if you swallow this sugar, you know, next book, there might be a lot of shit coming your way and then you're gonna have to swallow that. Mm-hmm. And like you're, you know, and I was old enough, luckily I was already like 40 or something before, or for, in my early forties before Sex of Dawn even came out that like I was already who I was. I wasn't gonna get inflated ego if it yeah. was a bestseller or be destroyed if it wasn't you know it's and I, I wonder about people who are you know really young and they get that kind of stuff coming at them like oh you're so smart you're so great you're so beautiful you're so whatever it'll fuck you up totally yeah we see a lot of that in LA you know? yeah yeah you ever, you ever seen a movie called Cloud Atlas yeah I have it's been a little while I saw it pop up on Netflix the other night and I was uh, gonna check back in I just watched it last night. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I was thinking when you were talking about being a little kid and, you know, hanging out in, in your friend's mom's studio and watching her work and that feeling of uh, what, by the way, I'm not recommending the film. It's three hours long. The yeah. first two hours were fantastic. The third hour sucked. <laughs> It was so, it was such an interesting, I, I want to read the book because it's so interesting. It's, interesting. It's, it's about like, sort of like how spirits move through time and it's, it's like a Buddhist concept of like you, you have these challenges that you, if you figure it out, then you move to the next level and if you don't, you, you go back like and repeat. It's almost like a parable story for enlightenment or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The process of trying to go through the, you know, stages of, of enlightenment. Um, yeah, it's really interesting philosophically. And then they have the same actors playing different characters in different moments in history. So you go from like, uh, I think the earliest one is probably in medieval times and then, you know, into the future. And, uh, 
Yeah, it's really interesting. But then the last hour, it turns into all this schlocky Hollywood bullshit and love stories and you know orchestral background music. And it mm-hmm. was like, like somehow they kept the Hollywood suits out of it for the first two hours, yeah. and then they just gave up. And it, it, anyway, so. But my point was how it's really interesting to think to to see how talent often seems to be like inexplicable. You know, like how is someone is born just with a a capacity and an appetite for something and yeah. other people aren't. And it often like in your family, neither you said no, neither your parents are artists per se. Right. And you didn't grow up in an artist community. And it wasn't like a you were more the sort of athletic sports outdoors kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how it defies all those things. You yeah. Know? I think it's mo- like the capacity thing. Like I just like if you look at a lot of the best athletes, they still trained and they still worked out, but they loved it so much that it wasn't as hard as it was for somebody else. Or there's like that therapeutic thing. And there's other like things that tie in. Some people need to work yeah. out or they don't feel right. Right. Yeah. And so like for me, I don't know if I, you know, when I was younger if I was any better artist than anybody else, but I cared more. Hmm. And I was more interested and willing to do the work to get right, better. Right. And that work is probably the same amount of work that somebody else would have had to do, but it wasn't as hard for me because I loved it or yeah. because it was good for me. Right. Um, right. Which is an interesting thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then that gets back to this, this thing we were talking about earlier, how underlying lots of different kinds of success is discontent of one sort or another. Right. Right. Like you, you felt a need to do that mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So what did, did you go to school for art? I went to San Diego state and I studied art and design. I, I took a, it was a multimedia major. So I could pretty much do anything within that realm. I even took electronic music classes. Mm. One of the best things that's translated to my painting has been, I took a three-dimensional rendering class. I took three semesters of it. So it was essentially like Pixar Mm. type stuff where you're molding a digital blob of clay into a structure, into a face. And you basically get to see the math behind everything that we see. It all breaks down into geometry and you see how light reflects, refracts off of different shapes and that creates form and shadow and all of that. So it was amazing because it kind of just is like looking at the skeletal structure of reality, how we perceive it. Hmm. And so I was able to take that into, I was taking painting classes as well. And so that was really helping with me paint and model and render hmm. human form. Um, Do you and do then, sculpture as well? Uh, not, not in college. I was really into sculpture in, in high school. Uh, yeah. Similar though, you know, yeah. it has a similar effect. I think that translates, it's, it takes a little bit longer. Like the thing with the digital is just so quick and mm. really fun. Mm. Um, but then I was taking a lot of design classes too. Um, you know, when I was in school, I didn't, I knew I wanted, I knew I was on the path that I wanted to be, but I, I wasn't very mindful about it. I was going to school doing well, but wasn't putting a lot into it outside of class. Like I was saying with the painting thing until maybe my junior year. And then when I had that heartbreak, I was kind of like, I need to figure my shit out. Like I need to figure out who I am. And if I want to keep a woman that I like, I need to be better. Essentially, it was kind of like the, if you strip it down. Um, 
so I started, you know, getting into design, getting into art, and uh, took a couple internships and started to get into advertising, just starting to figure out the design world. And right after school, I jumped into startups, and I was working on a startup company with one other founder and learned, taught myself how to code. Mm. Yeah, started designing websites to pay rent and, right. you know, just really, I was all, all in on it. So what year is this? That was 2000. 11, I think, hmm. 2011, 2012. Right. And I graduated, moved back to Santa Cruz, working on this startup. I was getting to work remote, so me and my girlfriend moved to Tahoe, where we're $300 a month in rent, and I was getting to snowboard and um, work on this startup company that I thought had some legs, but I was really young, didn't know anything about entrepreneurship, didn't know much about you know venture capital. Um, we raised a little bit of money, but we were essentially building an action sports video network. Um, this is before YouTube was like a big thing. And mm. there was a couple action sports sites, but nothing that curated it. Um, it ended up fizzling out. But I mean, one of the best failures of my life. Like I learned so much that applied to everything that I do today. Uh, That's a great concept. Like my best failure yeah right the how bad useful. how good can you fail <laughs> yeah What's that? And, and that's the second one you've brought up right i mean the, the heartbreak the bad breakup yeah i guess you would consider a failure and that was super instrumental in totally helping you move forward yeah yeah i think having those failures or you know it could just be hard times mm -hmm. allow you it gives you an opportunity to recreate yourself and I do that on, I guess I like microdose that yeah. too now with things like fasting mm. or just doing a really hard workout or doing a triathlon without training. Like those kind of things put you in that mind state where you're in like a little mini hell. And um, from that, you're, you're, you kind of go into like a flow, you kind of have an option. You can quit or you can just go into like a flow state. And from there you can start to learn more about yourself. And then after, after you do it, you feel like you're on drugs, basically. You feel so good. And from that place, you can try to do something better for yourself, I think. And like, it's enabled me to all of a sudden be like, I'm gonna stop drinking for four months, or mm. I'm gonna paint every day. I'm gonna do this or that. And those are big things in, I think, my success, that mm. I, the small successes I've had um, have been moments of recreation and rebirth. and. Yeah. Plant, plant medicines is a great example too. Yeah. Um, I've had some amazing experiences with that where I've came out of it feeling enabled to take an opportunity to recreate myself in various ways. And again, recreate, you know, like <clears throat> I feel like the trajectory of, of what you're doing and you know, what I'm doing and uh, I think everybody around us is doing is like what Rodin said about uh, finding the sculpture in the marble. Mm. He, you know, they're like, yeah. how do you create this? He's like, no, I'm just taking away the parts that aren't exactly essential to the, to the shape, right? Yeah. So like it's in there, I'm just uncovering it. And yeah, so it, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, you were saying recreate and I kept thinking, was he recreating or was he... That's probably um, more accurate. Uncovering. Yeah. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, in my life, I'm much older than you, but in my life I feel like like the, the mistakes I've made have been in trying to um, cr 
create try, how can I say I'm not I'm not articulating this very well but like like trying to do something intentionally or trying to like deciding oh I'm gonna be this and then but no you already are what you're gonna be right you know unless you're faking it and a lot of people fake it their whole lives and never get there but the process is figuring out what you are and then aligning your life with that yeah it's not figuring out what you want to be and then getting there you're already there yeah it's like there's a signal that's already existing like a radio signal hmm. and you sometimes tune into it and you're like oh that, that's it that's and then it. you tune yeah. out and maybe something happens or yeah you, you start to watch too much TV and everything there's just noise in your life and it's just and then you well, get a little that's true and, and, and life is designed now to distract us exactly right everything is trying like I'm feeling really comfortable in your place by the way because it's so quiet yeah this is probably I mean yeah it's it's a it's a rainy day and it's it's a nice <laughs> vibe but yeah there's so little silence in our lives mm -hmm. so that we can find that signal you know yeah, and I, that's something I've put a lot of focus on over the last year or so specifically is trying to find that signal, I guess. Mm. And it's, you know, you can call it intuition, but all these things, that, like you're saying, like they are, are they're already there. They yeah. are always there. And we've filled in the gaps or we thought we needed something else or people told us we were something else. Mm. And, you know, there's programs that just get run on top of it and you can't hear it anymore. Almost. Yeah. And I've like me, you know, I don't have a TV in here. I yeah. try to turn off my phone a lot. Like I sleep with it on airplane mode. Like all these things help me just reduce that noise. And when I do that, I notice that I, I can hear myself a lot more. Right. And it's not like right. voices, it's feeling. It's yeah. when a decision comes up, I can feel what the right call is. Yeah. Yeah. It, I get a lot of emails from, you know, people who listen to the podcast who are, you know, your age around whatever. What are you, late 20s, something like that? 31. 31, yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's no compliment. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 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 uh, it's the mud one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there, you know, a lot of them, like I was, are casting around trying to figure out, you know, find their path, yeah. right, and figure out what to do in life. And like what I want to tell them always is like, don't order off the menu, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there are so many interesting ways to live a life that you have no clue about in your twenties. You know, the mm -hmm. options that are placed before you are very limited but the actual options are unlimited. Yeah. Especially now. People are making livings doing things that, I mean, you know, 10 years ago, I, I didn't know what a podcast was. And now it's yeah. like my main gig, you know, so. it, I had no idea. And there's also this sense in which, I was just talking with a friend about this this morning, like there's this sense of in which you look back and you say, oh, I see, I was on a path to here. Yeah. But when you're living it, you're just stumbling around in the darkness. You're just stumbling from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. And what you're trying to do, hopefully, is follow that signal and tune in and tune in and tune in. You keep losing it, but you look for it and then you find it again and you hold it a little longer this time. And each time, it's almost like when you tune in, you hear a message in fragments, you know, mm -hmm. and then you hear more and more of it and you start to put it together. And hopefully at some point in your life, you're like, oh. 
that's me. Now, that's now I know this is me. And at this point, I'm 57. I can't not be like this anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like there's certain things I've learned. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I can't not. I, I'll never negotiate that again. Like you know about relationships or whatever. Uh, like I'll never have a job where I wear a tie and <laughs> call someone my boss. I won't. I'll be living on the beach before that would happen. You know? yeah, yeah. I'll never piss in a cup for a company, ever. I just can't do it. No, you know, doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, I don't know what that, that was. Really well was said. About. I think. I, was I think it? Was, I think it was. Yeah, I think that was spot on. Because yeah. in in that initial stage of. Um, you said don't order off the menu and it just order something else even if it's you don't know if it's the right or wrong and that's just going to start you on it the exploring like you're like oh there's a wall there there's here yeah. there. and then your path starts to get created and i've you know i get called to do that a lot where i'll just be like you know what all my friends have been drinking a lot i'm just not going to drink for a long time that's the other thing i wanted to talk yeah you're I think that's so important, and it's not about drinking. Like it's Wim, not, Wim Hof, for example, yeah. like the whole thing with all cold showers, right? Yeah. I don't know if cold showers do shit, mm -hmm. but what I do know is that when I decide I'm going to take a cold shower every morning for the next you know, month or whatever, and I actually do it, I respect myself more. Something happens with that, yeah. Because it's like meditation, right? It's like, it's like when you meditate, you realize that you are not the voices in your head. Mm -hmm. You are someone who's listening to those voices or not, and you can decide wh where to focus your attention. Right. And so that's like a different understanding of yourself then. Like, and I feel the same way with the Wim Hof thing. It's like, if I decide I'm going to jump in the river and I don't, that's a certain version of me. Yeah. If I decide I'm going to do it and I do, that's a different version of me. And that second version of me has a lot more agency. Hmm. Right? And so like with you... It's just with, the act of doing something, right? Whatever almost. it is, yeah. it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter what it is. So it's you decide I'm not going to drink for a few months and you don't, that's a different version of you. Right. Yeah. yeah and it, a lot of it is, you know, they talk about in like yoga is intention. What's your intention? And that's right. kind of... Uh, non-yogic way of saying that like just deciding something random i'm gonna yeah. walk barefoot for a week and because <laughs> i just want to find out who i am yeah. and but every time yeah. you do walk barefoot you're going to be thinking about that and it's right. going to be part of you and it's going to you know it's going to guide your life in a certain way yeah um yeah i think that's huge for just starting on the path of deciding things for yourself and figuring out who you are yeah. i don't want to come across uh as if like I'm an expert at any of this because honestly, am I. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, this is, if I had to like make a list of my flaws, like probably near the top of the list would be lack of discipline. Discipline. Okay. You know, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I realize I'm coming across kind of like uh, <laughs> sanctimonious here, but you know, I'm imagining a friend like Kyle or somebody listening to this going, oh, listen yeah. to Mr. Cold Showers, you know. Well, as long as you don't do the cold shower thing, like you don't do it to yourself, then you could just prophesize about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm good at talking about yeah, it. Yeah. Do what I say, not what I do, ladies cold and gentlemen. Cold showers are pretty amazing, actually. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I've taken my van out the last two summers. I'm going to do it again this year. And, you know, for uh, two months, three months, whatever. And, 
you know, often you're camping up in Idaho, Montana, whatever, you're camping next to a river. Get up in the morning, jump in that fucking river, man. And it's beautiful. It's yeah. so beautiful. And yeah, it's cold as shit, but it feels so good, you know? And then the rest of the day, it's like, ah, oh, fuck mm -hmm. yeah, that feels great. So, I mean, I do that. I don't necessarily like the shower in the morning. I'm like, eh, it's pretty poor good. Poor man's huh? version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not yeah. that good, so I'm just going to go warm. <laughs> I'm just going to go warm with it. I've been doing a lot of breath work too. I don't know if you've like holotropic breath. Well, work? like Wim Hof breath oh, work. Wim Hof um, stuff. Yeah. I think that's what brought me in initially into that world. Well, you know the the plant medicine world and like psychedelic therapy is really tied to breath work. Yeah. Like Stan Groff. Sure. It was kind of a branch when the the war on drugs happened, and Stan Groff was like, "Well, we can't give you LSD anymore, so let's just continue with this breath work thing that we were right. doing," and they were having amazing results. Um, so I was drawn to it as you know a maintenance type thing and then I heard about Wim Hof and I was like that sounds awesome started to do some of that um, and then heard about holotropic breath work and uh, I just blindly signed up for an intro course and it was LA holotropic breathwork.com and I didn't look at where it was anything I just knew it was in LA so the the day came when it was it was happening that night and I was like okay I gotta figure out where this is drive across town looked it up and no joke it's a block away from my house oh, it's one block over right and i just walked over there and had an, the craziest experience um one hour breath work session and it's it rivals a psychedelic trip mm. have you done one of those i haven't done stan groff's thing no the holotropic yeah. no i've done i was with wim did some stuff with him yeah but i haven't i did a breath thing in costa rica uh, when I was Rhythmia. down at Rhythmia. Yeah, yeah, it's probably similar. Yeah, honestly, I didn't experience it. I, I was yeah. with Kyle and his brother and you know, a bunch of people, and they had really strong experiences. I, it didn't hmm. happen for me. What is, what is that noise? A vacuum. It sounds like Oh, it's upstairs? upstairs I think, oh, yeah. okay, okay. Is that right? Yeah, it's all right. Oh, it just stopped. Good. Um, yeah, so what was your experience like? You. Yeah, so, I mean, they have... You know, it's not anything technical. You're pretty much just taking deep breaths yeah. in, in repetition, and there's just no gaps, really. You're just breathing constantly. And then they have, like, this crazy soundtrack that's supposed to kind of guide you through these three stages of the experience. Mm. And um, you get, you know, you have a blindfold on, and you just, that's pretty much it. You're just breathing. And people have a range of experiences, and they kind of categorize them, and you know, mine wasn't, I wasn't like standing up screaming, but people were, Yeah. and people were crying. And, yeah. um, but I had Matt, like they call it tetany where your hands just kind of clench up really tight. Um, just one of the side effects of just over oxygenating your body or something right. like that. But I had this, I through the blindfold. I could see my hands almost in like an avatar type glowing world. I don't know if you remember that scene in Avatar where, at night movie. where everything's glowing, but I could like yeah. see my hand and it was all tense and I just, for some reason, just started shaking it and it brought up all these, just some memories of being scared when I was younger or I guess you can call them mild traumatic experiences and I was just like vividly like seeing them flash and I was just shaking my hand and all of a sudden it just cleared up my vision and then my hand was just like free and glowing. Mm. Just like one of the experiences I had and mm. I was just... I don't know. I was like, I just got this out of a breath work. I just breathed yeah. a couple times and yeah. it was just amazing. And, you know, I've, 
I don't know, I'm pretty called to that. And so I do breath work almost every day. Yeah. Um, but just more in like a smaller form, like I'll do it as a, a compliment to my meditation practice. Right. Um, you ever done a Vipassana retreat? No. Yeah. It's, every year I put it on my to-do list that year. I just haven't. It's interesting. It's, it's a hard thing to find time for. Like, I, I don't know if they're still doing the 10-day retreats. Um, when I did it, it was the, the first one you do is 10 days, and then after you can do shorter ones, but they insist that you do the 10-day one. Wow. Yeah, and 10 days of absolute silence and no eye contact and, like, no media, no... No reading, right? No reading. No writing? No. Whoa. Nothing. And, and food is, like, just bland, vegetarian, you know, rice and beans and veggies and... Yeah, and it's like eight to ten hours a day of meditation practice, and then the rest of the time you just like go for a walk or whatever. But no people or yeah. no contact. That's interesting. Like the 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 like layers of the onion that get peeled away. Right. And I mean, I had memories of things like you know this kid who stole my tricycle when we were four years old, and I remembered awesome. his name and like all this weird yeah. like memories that you can't believe are the still in there. Of the mind. Yeah, yeah, exploring. really. That's really cool. Interesting experience, but yeah, I mean, meditation it, like it's that same thing. It's like that taking control of our attention. I feel like. That's always, you know, obviously that's central to the Buddhist approach to life and other Eastern approaches. But I feel like it's even more urgent now because mm -hmm. we're surrounded by these devices that are designed to, uh, you know, Tristan Harris, you ever come across him? Mm -mm. He was, um, he's like the in-house ethicist at Google. Okay. Um, I've heard, of, yeah, I've heard about him. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's, he's done like Sam Harris's podcast yeah. and he's done some stuff. And I guess they have an app now about that's like trying to take your attention back from the machines. Hmm. But he he talks about how like, you know, people have this, um, you know, there's this truism that technology is neither good nor bad. It just is. And we choose how to use it. It's yeah. a tool. Right. But his point is like, no, man, you know, your phone, those apps on your phone, Instagram, Snapchat, designed also, to it's designed. Yeah. yeah it, it like to give you that little dopamine yeah. thing dopamine rush it's like the slot machines it's they're not designed to entertain you they're designed to suck your time and money and i've spent a lot of time in my life designing apps and uh, that's right that's a common topic is how do we make Hold. it more addictive yeah. how do we make habit forming these are discussions that are had all the time on every right. design team i've ever been on um mm. So, yeah. so let's talk about your, your business thing. Cause I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast with you aside from just getting to know you, cause yeah. you and I have sort of seen each other around a lot. We have common friends. Uh, we hung out at the Bombay beach Biennale last yeah. year. Crazy yeah. times. That's an amazing thing. Uh, yeah. So, um, but I did, I wanted to, you know, you sort of, uh, you drew me over to the dark side. Yeah, dude. Popped your cherry. It wasn't. <laughs> it was no big deal for me. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I mean, you know, I guess you and I chatted a bit. You sent me a bunch of uh, mud water and, and I love it. I enjoy it. I love the design. I love the whole concept. And I knew you had this business starting mm -hmm. and all that. Um, and then Kyle talked, Kyle and I were talking and he's like, dude, I think I'm going to. 
like maybe take some sponsorships really limited and right. you know you should consider it and Shane you know Shane's would like to talk to you and you know there's and I was like oh really fuck I've been I've been resisting it so long and you know you sort of like uh and then you sent me some some emails that you'd been corresponding with you know different podcasts and I was like Jesus those are the numbers what yeah. the fuck it's wild yeah 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 and it's just blowing up I mean podcasting in general is blowing up as a as a medium for you know connecting with a certain kind of audience it's really targeted and in a certain type of way yeah which exactly. you know previously it's like billboards and commercials and it's very I wouldn't call it all, always inauthentic, but it's it's definitely not close to like an interaction with another human. Yeah. Um, so it's so invaluable when somebody that you trust is telling you something that they like. Right. Like it's just it's different. Right. And so yeah, people pay a lot of money for it. Yeah. Yeah, and and honestly, that that's the source of my resistance to it because I feel like. I feel like the people who listen to this podcast, look, there's so many fucking podcasts to listen to, right? right? There's so much music and radio and so many things. So people who are giving me their attention, there's a trust between us totally. that I'd never want to betray. And so my feeling about advertising, as you were saying, is like, you know, okay, so people are going to pay me to sell out these people who trust me. Right. That, that, that there's nothing good about that, you nothing know? Nothing at all. So, yeah, I mean, but Kyle and I talked about it and he's like, yeah, dude, but you know, you use things, you like things, exactly. you know, you're drinking this stuff and you like Shane and like, mm, what's the problem? And like, well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I do like the stuff, you know? Yeah. So. I think Tim Ferriss did a good job with that. You know, when he was doing his pot, he still does it. But when I was listening early on, like, I felt like everything that he was talking about, he vetted out. It was something he liked, and you just talk about why he likes it, essentially. He wasn't right. saying buy it. Right. Um, and I already, had a, I already have a page on my website of things I own. Right. Where I'm not making any money from it. It's just yeah. like, hey, here's... Because people are always writing, like, what, what equipment do you use for the podcast? And, or I talk about this bike, and, you know, or I had th these cool lamps that, you know, yeah. whatever. I like sharing when I find something that's really cool. I love sharing it with people, mm -hmm. you know? just because it increases quality of life and it's a good product and like it's what I you never... do with your friends too you know exactly it's, it's a natural what you do. it's a natural right. thing right yeah yeah i was talking with kyle a lot about that before i sponsored his and like how we can do it in a way that was different because there's this is a new thing podcasting and influencer marketing is kind of mm. all it's all under that umbrella of like there's people who are cooler than others i guess is what the world's saying and these people can tell you what's what else is cool what what they use and people pay them for it but i feel like you know it's going to evolve and people are going to find out ways to to make it more natural i feel like and you know with kyle we're doing this box of goodies right because i was like i could just give you a product and if people want to buy it through you like you should benefit from that mm. um i don't know like i i was totally open to explore a bunch of different things and then i think it's also just how he talks about it like I don't tell him to say anything. I don't tell yeah. him when, when to talk about it. Um, I told him if he wanted to, he could just randomly call me and like record our conversation, and that could be the ad, <laughs> whatever he wants. Um, but like you both deserve to be supported. You know what I mean? Like yeah. podcasting. This is your. It's so val. It's been so valuable to my life. Um, I got into podcasting when I was living in Silicon Valley, or I was living in San Francisco and commuting to Silicon Valley. 
hour commute and I hated it. And I, I hated it because I felt like I was wasting so much of my life. Right. But looking back on it, I wouldn't have traded it for anything because it got me into podcasting, which became this sort of university for me. Like, I feel like I probably was yeah. more influenced in profound ways in that year of listening to thousands of podcasts than I was in college, Right. to be totally honest. And, you know, it, it hearing a bunch of different people on, you know, with one cohesive host talking about a variety of things made me feel like I could think differently right. in my friend circles or anything I wanted to do. And I would get pulled into certain things like Kyle has talked about it. One of the first podcasts I ever listened to was Aubrey Marcus on Joe Rogan. Uh-huh. And it was like episode 127 or something like that. And he came on and I didn't know who either. I knew who Joe Rogan was from like Fear Factor. Right. And uh, didn't know who Aubrey Marcus was. He came on and the whole episode was him talking about his first ayahuasca experience. Right. And it was just so raw. And yeah. the only, I think I'd listened to one other podcast before and it was like a, like a history. It was kind of more like an audio book. You know what I mean? So this was the first time where I heard two people just bantering about something that was so fascinating. And I drove home listening to that podcast I got to my house and I drove to Kyle's house and I had him put it on his speakers in his house and there's maybe eight people hanging out we were gonna like go out that night and I was like you guys gotta listen to this <laughs> and there was like eight of us and I think some of some of them were like what the fuck are we doing but like a couple people were like this is cool and yeah. then I was like I'm gonna go try ayahuasca <laughs> you know and, and multiple yeah. of my friends you know got really into podcasting after that right. too and, and right. Kyle included you know right um I don't know what we were talking about podcasting and oh yeah podcasting uh, and how just, important it is to me yeah. so I, I don't know I want to find out a way because it's been so valuable to me where I can enable people who are bringing value to other people to continue mm, doing it right in an authentic way well that's great man yeah 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 so yeah I guess you're you're the first sponsor of my podcast in the last uh, four or five years or Hell whatever yeah, yeah. Popping that cherry. It's going to be you, and then uh, it's going to be Wine of the Month Club. And um, yeah, it, anyone who wants to, I don't give a shit. Any company. What's, what's an example of some really shitty company? Exxon. Exxon. Yeah. Sign up. Chase Bank. Jump on. You know, send us your money. Yeah, yeah. We'll take your money. And it should just be part of the motherfucker prize. You get a free sponsorship. <laughs> you get a free sponsorship. Chris Ryan's podcast. Purdue Pharma. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, Shane set up, you did the website for the I Motherfucker Awards, right? I did the branding, right? the branding, branding and web design. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Did you design the... The trophy image, the, the yeah. little finger yeah. with the earth on it. Yeah, my my initial idea was to have a guy in a business suit fucking a globe, but yeah. I, I think that was a little. Prob- your design's better. Yeah, maybe that could be V two, V ten, maybe ten. Yeah, like when yeah. We, we made some money from yeah. it. We got some fucking money. Yeah, yeah. So what were you doing in Silicon Valley? I was working for a tech startup. Mm. Yeah, I was like a lead designer on a tech team Hmm. but I didn't want to live in San Jose or Mountain View right growing up in Santa Cruz there's this huge aversion to the valley it's like valleys would come over and hang out on our beaches and it was Mm. it's silly but when I would go to work there I was just like I don't like this place and so I initially when I was working there I was living in Santa Cruz with all those mountain bikers right it was actually really funny because you know I my company offered to pay for me to stay in Mountain View during the work week so they paid for my rent at this hacker house, which was essentially, it was like a frat house for nerds. 
So there's people from all around the world who were developers, coders at Tesla and Google and Facebook and pretty much like bunk beds and like 10 guys in this house and my company paid for me to stay there. So I'd drive there on Mondays, work. I, I wouldn't spend much time at the house. I'd like train jujitsu after work, come home and sleep. But I'd meet all these really brilliant minds from all around the world and they're all working on side projects and whatnot. And then on you know, Friday I'd go to work and then drive back home mm. and I'd be wearing like a button up shirt and I'd walk and I'd show up at our house, which we called deer camp. And there's four mountain bikers, there's tractors and like, Hey Shane. <laughs> and I was just, and then I'd, you know, put on other clothes and go out and ride bikes. So yeah. I was living this like dual life almost. Right. Um, and I had an art studio there too. And it was pretty funny, but then, yeah, then I lived in San Francisco. I moved up there and was doing the commute too. So. All right. And were you, were any of these startups successful? Did you work? Yeah, they're still, I mean, at that time it wasn't my own company. Right. It was another company and they're still running and doing pretty well. Ah, cool. Yeah. And how did, how is Mudwater like your first company you're actually No, so started right or? after school I was a co-founder. I was talking about that. The, oh, the one that the fizzled out. The best failure. Yeah. Good yeah. failure. Um, and then... So what happened was after I was living in Silicon Valley, I, you know, that's when I was drinking a ton of coffee. I was working in the tech space. I was working out a lot and kind of bought into the dream that coffee is, was going to help me do more, do it better, essentially. Like, it, like, is it a nootropic? I don't know. And after a while, I was just like drinking this stuff and I was like anxiety, jitters, and I was kind of just like questioning it, similar to how I question a lot of things, like why am I doing this? Am I doing this because everybody in the office is doing it or am I doing it because it's actually benefiting me? And so, you know, the timing was pretty interesting because right then I got offered to do an artist in residence in Goa, India. Oh, really? Yeah. So spent a lot of time in Goa. Dude, amazing place. So I ended up quitting my job and moved to Goa. No shit. Yeah. Were you on the beach or? On the beach. Yeah. In uh, Mandarin. Uh, Ashvam, Mandurum uh, area. I was on Arambol all the way. Yeah, so up, just up south of just yeah. south of Arambol, like yeah. five minute scooter. Right. So I spent a lot of time in Arambol. Yeah, so cool. So uh, what, what, year? what year? This was 2014. Maybe. Oh, geez, yeah, I was 15, there in 10 years earlier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a place called Vayu there, and um, founded by an Indian local who actually went to school in San Diego. While in school, he went to Lightning in a Bottle or Burning Man, one of these festivals, and was just like fascinated by how music is bringing people together around um, being more environmentally conscious. Because a lot of these festivals, it's like pack your trash, leave no trace. And in India, trash is a huge problem. And him specifically, he was actually a professional kite surfer. Mm. So the ocean was his sacred place. But in India, there's not a lot of water sports. And so people don't appreciate it the way we do here. Um, and so when he came home, he had this vision to, you know, open up a resort type space that would have live music, DJs, kind of progressive music. And then they would also do surf lessons and kite surfing lessons to try to tie in the local community with, you know, nature, essentially, through fun activities that the youth can resonate with. And part of that was bringing in five to ten artists from around the world to come and live paint and essentially have a show mm. um, throughout the the season there in Goa so I I got there and they put me up in a place you know nothing luxurious like it was a big shift I'd never really traveled outside of US Mexico Canada wow and just showed up at 4 a.m. and 
just the craziest drive to get to the to get to that place, you know, and it's honking at cows and dogs and <laughs> I was just like, This is nuts and yeah. super jet lagged. Yeah. But uh but acclimated and it was a really amazing experience. But part of that was I wasn't drinking coffee and I fell in love with chai. Oh yeah. So chai is obviously so that's chai is their coffee. Chai. Yeah. 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 And you know, on every corner they don't have Starbucks. Mm. I mean in Delhi maybe, but um, in Goa it's like they have little chai shops and you go in there and they're just it just fascinated me. It's like a completely different culture. It's like over here we just coffee's such a standard, such a staple. But it made me realize and it's obvious that it wasn't always like that. And before Starbucks there wasn't really cafes here. Um, so over there I was just drinking chai and you know, had an amazing time through an art show, it was great. Came home, I was, I joined a team, right when I got back, I was like, what do I wanna do? I had, after traveling, you kind of get this perspective and you, you get really, you're like, I don't wanna be suit and tie, kind of similar to you, like, I was like, I don't wanna be commuting, I don't wanna be working in a place I don't wanna live, I honestly wanna work like for a remote company and make my own schedule. Mm. And within like a week of being home, somebody saw my resume online, called me up and was like, I'm just starting this company right now. We just raised money. And if you want to start, you can just start working on this little project. And if it works out, we'll see what we can do. And maybe you'll join the team. So, you know, just my pace, like I'm obsessed with design and I just go really fast. And so within like two hours, I sent him back like a full redesign of their app. And, and he was just like, did you copy this from somewhere? <laughs> and, and I was like, no, man. And so long story short, he ended up bringing me on as a co-founder. No shit. Yeah, and so I rebranded their entire product. We, um, we were in an incubator, which is like a VC fund that kind of like helps you as well, gives you resources and, and uh, yeah, raised a bunch of money and I've worked on that project for like two years. Um, and through that time, I was working remote, so that allowed me to move to LA. Mm. And so I was living down here. And Why'd was, you want to come here? I lived in, you know, I wanted to live in California, um, and then I wanted to live somewhere that had a thriving art and design mm. scene. And right. I lived in San Francisco already, LA. I had all my friends from college here. I was always like, I'll, I'll be there soon, I'll be there soon. Right. And like five yeah. years later. You had it in mind. Yeah, yeah so I, I moved in here. I had a cool spot in Marina Del Rey, an art studio downstairs, and I was just working remotely and getting to. I was training jujitsu when I wanted, painting when I wanted, working when I wanted, and it was really fulfilling. And we would, uh, as a company, since we were remote, instead of paying for an office, we would meet up in Colombia or Mexico every like two or three months and have, you know, like a work retreat. Um, so it was amazing. And that's where Paul, he's the C, he was the CEO of that company, and now he's the COO of Mudwater. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so during that time, I was drinking a bunch of chai in the morning. That was like my morning ritual. And I was always, you know, researching different compounds and ingredients. And so, you know, my kitchen was just full of different things that I was trying out. And I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this, but when I was, when I moved to LA, uh, I was taken aback by like, I was going out at night and just a lot, the cocaine culture is pretty strong here. And I was just like another kind of, moment where I was like, why are people doing this? Or do they really want to? Or is mm. it just kind of this cultural um, thing? And I read this article about, in I think it was in Germany in the nightclubs, there's like this one club that they're essentially like replacing cocaine and alcohol with cacao. <laughs> so people were snorting cacao and people were drinking it too in these elixirs. And you know, cacao has mood and energy properties to it. So right. 
Um, so yeah, I bought some and you can't buy like a gram of cacao. Like you buy like a pound or a kilo. (laughs) So I had this bag of cacao and I was just bringing it out just kind of as like a joke, really. I'd bring it out to parties and friends are like, oh, you you want a little key bump? And I'm like, no, I'm good. You want to try some cacao? And they're like, what? Why are you doing that? I'm like, why are you doing that? And we just kind of like have this fun conversation. Don't snort cacao. It's terrible. (laughs) It it burns. No, it's no real payoff. But in the end, I had like a bag of cacao at my house. And so I put it in my chai and stirred it up and I was like, this tastes great. Mm. Kind of like smooths out some of it and also, also has some benefit to it. And so that was kind of the first V1, you know, it was mm. like I started mixing in cacao and then I read about turmeric. I was training jujitsu a lot. I was always sore and achy mm. and it was like right. anti-inflammation and the chai has black pepper in it, which pairs really well with turmeric. Right. Um, another good thing about chai, I mean, chai in and of itself is just an amalgam of a bunch of ingredients. Right. So just adding things to it just makes sense, you know? Right. Um, so I added turmeric, some more cinnamon, and then the mushroom, uh, like listening to podcasts opened me up to mushrooms. And Paul Stamets. Paul Stamets, you know, I was listening to Tim Ferriss and he was talking about Four Sigmatic a lot. And yeah. my mom actually still to this day works for a company called Monterey Mushrooms. So oh, I was always okay. like mushrooms were always- so keyed into that. Yeah, I was yeah. always keyed in. And they don't grow the mushrooms that we use, but you know, we always had, mushrooms for dinner and it was I was very comfortable with it and so it's like I'll try some of that you know like lion's mane kind of associated with a a nootropic effect cognitive function and cordyceps uh, Paul Stamets was talking about lion's mane like uh, promotes the growth of neurons new neurons regrowth yeah it's amazing and it's unfortunate because there's not a lot of science around it just because these things are like eastern medicine so it's, yeah. it's coming now and it's hard to pat you can't patent a mushroom it's and, just yeah it's tough um but i read enough where i was like hell yeah i'm down and and cordyceps is really good for you know physical performance and chaga reishi some of the most well-researched mushrooms out there and and so i just had you know 10 tubs of powders and i was dumping it into this big hydro flask and then had these chunks of chaga i was putting in there and my friends were just like what the fuck is that <laughs> i'm like it's mud it wasn't, uh, there was no intention of a business. Like right. all my business endeavors have always been in the tech digital world. Uh, um, but I was drinking this and more, more or less just kind of thought I was an anomaly. Uh, I thought everybody drank coffee, coffee shops on every corner, never sparked my mind. Uh, fast forward a couple, like maybe a year and we ended up having to, you know, close, or I had to get a job essentially because we ran through most of our investment on that project that, or the company that we were working on. And I took a job for a company called the Flex Company. Um, believe it or not, it's like a tampon alternative company. So they're a big VC backed company looking to disrupt that space with, uh, you know, a product that's designed by a woman, which mm-hmm. is tampons designed by a man. And I was the lead designer, came on and redesigned everything from like packaging to their website and their subscription e-commerce backend. So I learned everything about delivering a physical product to a customer, but managing the experience online digitally. Right. Um, And then I was working in an office at that time, which wasn't ideal, but um, it was a good experience for me, um, working back in a space with other teammates, learning how to lead meetings and, and whatnot. And then... In that experience, I met a lot of people that were just drinking tons of coffee. That was just like me three years prior. And it's like, try this. And right before my eyes, saw multiple people just kind of fall in love with what I was drinking every day. Mm. And May last year, 
Were you still tweaking it or had you arrived at a pretty steady? I mean, every day it was different really. Cause right. I, I wasn't like, I wasn't making big batches every day. I was putting a spoon of this spoon right. of that. And right. I'm pretty like, I don't really care too much. Like if it has benefits, I'm, I, I'll drink it and I'll eat it. So some days it tasted amazing. Some days it tasted questionable. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it wasn't until I turned it into a business that I kind of had to fine tune it a little bit right. to make it more palatable. But yeah, it was, you know, I was drinking that a lot. Friends were, you know, kind of drinking it, laughing about it. And then in May this year, me and my friend actually here, we put a little bit of like a microdose of psilocybin in it and just had, went out to some event and just had a really good night. And the next morning I woke up and I was just like, duh. Like, I don't know, for some reason it never hit me that I should do that. Hmm. And then it was like, you know how to do everything that you need to do to make this happen. Right. And the, there's people out there that obviously want this. And so over that weekend, like, I think that that happened on like a Saturday morning. And so I just grabbed my computer and I was just like, everything was there. I it remember, was fascinating. I remember when that happened. Yeah. Like, I, I guess you were sending stuff to Kyle and he showed it to me. Yeah. And we were proofreading your, your copy yeah. and, and it was so fast. It, it was fast, man. It, yeah. it, it was so intuitive. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of design projects that I work on, you're working with a team, there's various levels of approval or at least opinions that are involved. And with this, it was just like, this is me. It's my drink. I'm not changing it. And I don't need to ask anybody for permission. And yeah. it was just feeling of just freedom. And yeah. I, the name was there in my yeah. head. The look was there. I designed the label that it hasn't changed since yeah. that day. That's, the design's amazing. Design. And the and packaging then, is so cool. Thank you. Yeah. And, then, and the hockey puck ones too that you yeah, brought the to the motherfuckers. Those are really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I launched the website the following day. Built the whole thing. And, and, and you know, I was, you know, there's some like tweaks that could have been made. There's typos everywhere. And, but it was like good enough. And yeah. I think part of it is being comfortable with some of the chaos, comfortable with failure. Like I was okay with it not being perfect. Right. And you kind of need a sense of that when you're starting a company, like you need to, if you're putting something out that you're not slightly embarrassed about, you're taking too long. Mm, you need, a good point. you need just to start moving and get momentum and get learning, you know, kind of like what we were talking about. Like you're trying to find out who you are. Like yeah. you need to just start taking steps and be right. like, oh, this is, the, this is working, that's not. And yeah. so that's what it was initially. I was like, here's a test. Users started to come in. I put up an Instagram post. I didn't have photos. I didn't, I had never made a batch yet. Um, but I ordered a bunch of what I'd been drinking by myself on right. Amazon. Right. And I ordered a jar, a couple jars on Amazon. And I ordered some stickers that I put on the jars. That was it. I was like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll figure it out. And then, well, isn't it cool how like, you know, this what you're talking about, like like launching it when you're not quite, you know, ready maybe. Yeah. Like that's something that really can only happen now, right? I mean, the, the infrastructure exists that there's no, like what's your startup cost? It's next to nothing. Nothing. I launched a website it in here with this stickers. room we're sitting in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, for that space, it's amazing. Like there's a lot of companies that are launching now um, because it's easy with the, whether it's Shopify or ShipStation, you can print out shipping labels at home. The post office will come pick them up. Mm. There's payment processors online. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really empowering. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Um, it's amazing. So what's, uh, what's the response? I guess the response has been pretty positive if you're throwing money at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been good. So, I mean, I launched it then. Um, 
you know, I figure there's a lot that happened in figuring out how to mix the stuff at scale. Yeah. And right. I, I think the first maybe 20 batches that I made, I didn't have a mixer. So I put a bunch in like a big mason jar. Just, just shook it up. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. And then I got a mixer and then I got, you know, early on, I didn't have a label printer. So I was just going straight to the post office and manually inputting it in. It was just a lot of learning and then just optimizing and optimizing and optimizing. And, you know, fast forward six months from then, and I was still working full time at that company, mm. but like this was taking off to the point where, you know, there's a balance. I didn't have a lot of capital saved up where I could be like, I, I can float myself for three to six months if this doesn't work out, whatever. And then the company was growing at such a rate that it was getting a lot of venture capital interest, but none of that's guaranteed. So I was like, I need to quit my job to continue to grow this. If I don't quit my job, essentially I'm not gonna be able to keep up. Um, but if I quit my job, I might run out of money and then right. I can't work on the business either. You know what I mean? So I was at this like this moment and I remember I woke up one morning and I had been working, you know, 16 hour days for five months straight. Like I would be going into the commercial kitchen after work until mm. 2 a.m. Coming home, I was living out of my calendar. Like I just didn't have time for any social friendships, nothing. And I was just almost at my wit's end. And I walked out to the beach and I jumped on the phone with Paul, who at the time was just advising me. And he's the one who uh, I joined on. He was the CEO of the previous company. And he was, you know, advising me on business side of things, but also just like my therapist. And I was almost on the verge of tears. I was like, I don't, this is too much. I don't know what to do. And he's like, I'm writing you a $25,000 check. And he doesn't have, this was like money he was saving up for a house. And I was like, no, dude, I'll, like, we'll figure it out. He's like, I'm writing you a $25,000 check. And if you don't take it, I'm not helping you anymore. He's like, you're quitting your job and you're doing this. And uh, I don't think I even gave him an answer. I just was like, uh, and then we just hung up and then he's like, check your bank. And the money was there. Mm. And, um, man, it was a really cool time. And that was enough to bridge you. It gave me, you know, enough confidence and it gave me enough cushion where I was like, I can do this, right. you know, and, and if it took me a month, raising money can take months. Yeah. Some companies can take a year. Right. Um, so I was just aware of that. Um, so that it gave me enough cushion where I was like, I'll be able to pay rent for the foreseeable future until I think I can make it happen within that time frame. Right. So I went and I told my company and now I had more free time and started meeting with investors and really the, like I closed the round of funding within like a month. Huh. So it happened really fast, right? Um, which is a huge blessing. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was really a wild time yeah. to look back on. Like I was just so busy and so in it yeah. and had no time for anything else. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what it took. Like it was like a rocket taking off. And at the beginning, you know, it's like barely lifting off earth. Right, and then, right. then all it's of a sudden, a lot of resistance, at the a lot of resistance. And yeah. so, um, I think I got through, you know, that initial phase there's, it's always going to be somewhat stressful and that's kind of where it's at now. Like it's just in a, a wild ride. It's so fun. And my previous failures, my previous companies have prepared me for all of this. And yeah. so I feel really well equipped now. And, um, you know, Paul, like I said, he's my right hand man. Like he does, he handles a lot of the financial sides, the operation sides, right. and it allows me to 
you know, focus on creative. Like the other day we were talking to one of our co-packers and um, it was a very important meeting. We were discussing contractual terms and I had my computer over here and he was, you know, kind of leading the conversation point man. And he looked over at my screen and I was making, designing like a playlist that I was going to send out to all the customers that day. Oh. <laughs> and he was just like, <laughs> God damn it. And I mean, I was, but that's really valuable to have. Like right. I'm constantly thinking about you, people like you, like who's drinking my product and how do we resonate with them? How right. do we make something better? That, how do we make something that's, you know, stands out amongst the crowd? Um, and something that actually like brings something beneficial to their lives. Mm. And so, yeah. you know, he, he always talks about, he's trying to fire me from everything that I do besides creative work. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's there's a lot of, uh, and, and from the very beginning, there was a lot of attitude, a lot of humor in this yeah. brand. Oh yeah. You know? totally. It was, that, and what you were saying earlier <laughs> about like, yeah, there were typos, there was this and that. It, that was almost like part of the charm. Yeah. You know what I mean? That it was like, yeah. you, could, you could tell this was made in someone's kitchen and, <laughs> you know. And it also when you were talking, I was thinking, it sort of resonated back to something we were talking about much earlier. How you arrived at this moment and you sort of recognized like, oh, holy shit, I know how to do everything I need to do to make this happen. Yeah. And it wasn't, I assume it wasn't intentional. It's like, now I'm going to learn marketing. Absolutely now I'm going to learn design. Because someday I'm going to start a company, you know, selling this health, you know, elixir or whatever. But you got there yeah. and it's like, oh, this was all leading up to this. Oh, interesting. It yeah. was wild. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I just want to say explicitly, this podcast was not part of the sponsorship deal. I wanted to do this, you know, you offered to sponsor us and like, okay, would in a couple of months or whatever it was, but I wanted to do this with you anyway. Cool. So, you know, it wasn't, I don't want people to think like I'm selling time on the podcast. Right. I don't do that. And I won't do that. There, there are people who may sponsor the podcast that I legitimately want to talk to anyway and have on, but that's, I don't sell access to the podcast as a guest. Right. Yeah. Unless, unless they offer me a lot of money. I mean, I'm giving you mud water. Yeah. Right now, yeah. So. Yeah. You got to give we're me more. Cause I, you've been sending me like you were sending me some in the mail every month. Yeah. And I had a bunch of it in my closet. <laughs> and then I, at one point I had a bunch of people over and I was like, you want some of this? And I'm like, yeah. And then uh, can I have some? And like, yeah, I'll get some more of that. And then I'm like totally out. And then we agreed to do this and I was like, shit, I don't even have any. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll cruise after this. We'll, if you have time, we'll go over to our spot. We just opened up on Abbot Kinney. Oh, oh. So, I, yeah, I just locked in. It's kind of a pop-up, semi-temporary, probably three, six months. Who knows how long it could go. But on Abbot Kinney, like on, the most expensive yeah, commercial real estate in the country? Yeah, but we met somebody who has a retail store. And in their store, they had a room that's small. It's maybe 12 by 12. Hmm. And they had been renting it out to a jewelry company. And the retail store itself that's on the front is like this really cool clothing line. Mm. And then the room, they're just like, you can do whatever you want. Oh, cool. And so, so you have like a little retail space. So yeah. So we have, I serve samples out. Like I literally finished it last night. No shit. And it's straight up a jungle. Let's check so it out. Every wall is covered in plants. Yeah. And there's like a little path, like a rock pathway. <laughs> and we have a, a serving bar so it's, you can come in. For free, come uh -huh. in donation-based. You can come try oh, our nice. product. We'll make different versions of it. We right. have CBD. We'll probably partner with Santa Cruz Medicinals. Get some of their there products on board. Yeah, they're going to be shout. sponsoring this podcast <laughs> uh, in the next few months. Yeah. Um, 
again, thanks to Kyle. He's he knows that guy. I forget his name, but yeah. the founder of it. Yeah. But yeah, I'll hook you yeah. up. You can come in, grab some then. Yeah, so. definitely. All right, brother. Let's uh, let's Happy wrap it up. Unless there's anything else, I guess we got the mud story. Um, yeah, I always tell people where to come. Mudwtr.com. Mm-hmm. You're a mud wrangler uh, in chief. Stalk us on Instagram at Drink Mud Water. That's about it. That's about it. All right. Thanks, brother. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. All right, kids. Hope you enjoyed that. Shane Heath, Mud Water. Um, as you can hear, it's not about making money. It's it's meaning. The dude's all about meaning and beauty and design and bringing cool shit into the world. So you got to love that. The world needs more cool shit. Who can argue? Uh, so check that out. Mud water. And don't forget about Santa Cruz medicinals. If you uh, have any CBD needs, if you've got some inflammation, you got some pain, you want to sleep better, et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't know about this uh, CBD, definitely Google it. Check it out. It's It's one of these borderline miracle substances that has been prohibited for so long and one of the amazing things that's happening right now in our world is that stuff that was irrationally prohibited is finally being allowed back into the public sphere so as much as the world is falling apart it's also coming together in some really interesting ways and maybe there's some sort of balance in that process maybe the falling apart is necessary to the coming together. Maybe the suffering is necessary to the ecstasy. I don't know. But there seems to be some underlying balance to everything in life, doesn't there? So anyway, I hope you're able to participate in the sorrows of the world with some joy. And um, I appreciate your attention and your compassion and your love and your uh, trust in me so it's beautiful to be sort of at the center of this wheel of community that we have and uh, i'm gonna make a real effort this summer to um, sort of let you know uh, a week in advance about events in different cities that i'm going to go through and when i say events all i mean is saying, hey, I'm going to be at this pub in Seattle, you know, at 7 p.m. on Thursday the 12th or whatever, and I hope you can come. Because what I've realized is that, like, I guess, you know, Shane talked about how you sort of know what your destiny is, but the society tries to pull you away from it. And and growing and maturing is a process of of recognizing and and acknowledging what you've always known what i've always known is that one of the things that i'm um able to do for people is introduce them to other people because i've always had diverse groups of friends you know i've i've been friends with surgeons and i've been friends with tattoo artists and i've been friends with homeless people and artists and musicians and scientists and you know you pick your realm and i've had relationships with people in that realm and um that's something that i've been proud of that that i've been able to move between those worlds and be accepted in those different worlds and I've 
met so many people in those worlds who are so cool and so open and interesting and that something that's given me a lot of joy in my life is to introduce the surgeons to the tattoo artists to the prisoners to the cops to the soldiers you know like I've loved bringing all those people together in parties and just seeing them get along and it gives me great joy to do that and I feel like this podcast is really another way of doing that so uh, even though I like to keep my travel schedule very loose, um, you know, and be able to just change plans at the last minute, I'm going to make a real effort this summer to um, plan and uh, execute these get togethers so that uh, you guys can meet each other. If you're anywhere in the Rocky Mountains or the West Coast of North America, uh, hopefully you'll be able to come out when we set those up. We did one in Boulder last year and like 30, 35 people showed up. It was fantastic. And and I just announced it two days earlier. And and again, it's not about meeting me. You already know me. It's about meeting each other. That's what I really, that's what I get off on. I want you guys to meet each other. So thanks for listening. I feel like I've been talking all fucking day. I'm going to shut the hell up and turn this over to mom and Carsey Blanton. Here's to you, Justin and Bennett. And everybody else we love and miss. Okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. <laughs> She didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage singing in your chest. You want to shut it up but give it a rest. You're going to die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation? Running from a confrontation, wondering what we ought to say. 
it's a big deal if you want to be free say what you want to feel spend the night with me i'm gonna take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground